This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Today, chapters 13, 14, and 15 from The Mystery of the Blue Train by Agatha Christie. Here at 1001 Stories for the Road, another Agatha Christie Poirot mystery. And now, chapter 13, Van Alden gets a telegram. On the afternoon of the 15th of February, a thick yellow fog had settled down on London. Rufus Van Alden was in his suite at the Savoy and was making the most of the atmospheric conditions by working double-time. Knighton was overjoyed. He had found it difficult of late to get his employer to concentrate on the matters in hand. When he had ventured to urge certain courses, Van Alden had put him off with a curt word. But now Van Alden seemed to be throwing himself into work with a redoubled energy, and the secretary made the most of his opportunities. Always tactful, he plied the spur so unobtrusively that Van Alden never suspected it. Yet in the middle of this absorption in business matters, one little fact lay at the back of Van Alden's mind, a chance remark of Knighton's, uttered by the secretary in all unconsciousness, had given rise to it. It now festered unseen, gradually reaching further and further forward into Van Alden's consciousness, until at last, in spite of himself, he had to yield to its insistence. He listened to what Knighton was saying with his usual air of keen attention, but in reality not one word of it penetrated his mind. He nodded automatically, however, and the secretary turned to some other paper. As he was sorting them out, his employer spoke. "'Do you mind telling me that over again, Knighton?' For a moment Knighton was at a loss. "'You mean about this, sir?' He held up a closely written company report. "'No, no,' said Van Alden. "'What you told me about seeing Ruth's maid in Paris last night. "'I can't make it out. "'You must have been mistaken.' "'I can't have been mistaken, sir. "'I actually spoke to her.' "'Well, tell me the whole thing again.' Knighton complied. "'I had fixed up the deal with Barthemers,' he explained, "'and had gone back to the Ritz to pick up my traps "'preparatory to having dinner "'and catching the nine o'clock train from the Gare du Nord.' At the reception desk, I saw a woman whom I was quite sure was Mrs. Kettering's maid. I went up to her and asked if Mrs. Kettering was staying there. "'Yes, yes,' said Van Alden. "'Of course. Naturally. And she told you that Ruth had gone on to the Riviera and had sent her to the Ritz to await further orders there?' "'Exactly that, sir.' "'It is very odd,' said Van Alden. "'Very odd indeed.' "'unless the woman had been impertinent or something of that kind. "'In that case,' objected Knighton, "'surely Mrs. Kettering would have paid her down a sum of money "'and told her to go back to England. 
"'she would hardly have sent her to the Ritz.' "'No,' muttered the millionaire. "'That's true.' "'He was about to say something further, but checked himself. "'He was fond of Knighton and liked and trusted him, "'but he could hardly discuss his daughter's private affairs with his secretary. "'He had already felt hurt by Ruth's lack of frankness, "'and this chance revelation which had come to him "'did nothing to allay his misgivings. "'Why had Ruth got rid of her maid in Paris? "'What possible object or motive could she have had in so doing?' He reflected for a moment or two on the curious combination of chance. How should it have occurred to Ruth, except as the wildest coincidence, that the first person that the maid should run across in Paris should be her father's secretary? Ah, but that was the way things happened. That was the way things got found out. He winced at the last phrase. It had arisen with complete naturalness to his mind. Was there, then, something to be found out? He hated to put this question to himself. He had no doubt of the answer. The answer was, he was sure of it, Armand de la Roche. It was bitter to Van Alden that a daughter of his should be guiled by such a man, yet he was forced to admit that she was in good company, that other well-bred and intelligent women had succumbed just as easily to the Count's fascination. Men saw through him, women did not. He sought now for a phrase that would allay any suspicion that his secretary might have felt. "'Ruth is always changing her mind about things at a moment's notice,' he remarked, and then he added, in a would-be careless tone, "'The maid didn't give any, uh, reason for this change of plan.' Knighton was careful to make his voice as natural as possible as he replied. "'She said, sir, that Mrs. Kettering had met a friend unexpectedly.' "'Is that so?' The secretary's practiced ears caught the note of strain underlying the seemingly casual tone. "'Oh, I see. Man or woman?' "'I think she said a man, sir.' Van Alden nodded. His worst fears were being realized. He rose from his chair and began pacing up and down the room, a habit of his when agitated. Unable to contain his feelings any longer— he burst forth, "'There's one thing no man can do, and that is to get a woman to listen to reason. Somehow or other, they don't seem to have any kind of sense. Talk of women's instinct. Why, it is well known, all the world over, that a woman is the surest mark for any rascally swindler. Not one in ten of them knows a scoundrel when she meets one. They can be preyed on by any good-looking fellow with a soft side to his tongue. If I had my way—' He was interrupted. A page-boy entered with a telegram. Van Alden tore it open, and his face went a sudden chalky white. He caught hold of the back of a chair to steady himself, and waved the page-boy from the room. "'What's the matter, sir?' Knighton had risen in concern. "'Ruth!' said Van Alden, hoarsely. "'Mrs. Kettering?' "'Killed!' "'An accident to the train?' Van Alden shook his head. No. From this it seems she's been robbed as well. They don't use the word, Knighton, but my poor girl has been murdered. Oh, my God, sir! Van Alden tapped the telegram with his forefinger. This is from the police at Nice. I must go out there by the first train. Knighton was as efficient as ever. He glanced at the clock. 
Five o'clock from Victoria, sir. That's right. You will come with me, Knighton. Tell my man, Archer, and pack your own things. See to everything here. I want to go round to Curzon Street. The telephone rang sharply, and the secretary tilted the receiver. Yes, who is it? Then to Van Alden. Mr. Gobi, sir. Gobi? I can't see him now. No, wait, we have plenty of time. Tell them to send him up. Van Alden was a strong man. Already he had recovered that iron comb of his. Few people would have noticed anything amiss in his greeting to Mr. Gobi. I'm pressed for time, Gobi. Got anything important to tell me? Mr. Gobi coughed. <clears throat> the movements of Mr. Kettering, sir. You wish them reported to you. Yes, well? Mr. Kettering, sir, left London for the Riviera yesterday morning. What? Something in his voice must have startled Mr. Gobi. That worthy gentleman departed from his usual practice of never looking at a person to whom he was talking, and stole a fleeting glance at the millionaire. What train did he go on? demanded Van Alden. The blue train, sir. Mr. Gobi coughed again and spoke to the clock on the mantelpiece. Mademoiselle Morel, the dancer from the Parthenon, went by the same train. We'll return with Chapter 14 right after these sponsor messages. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And now Chapter 14, Ada Mason's Story. I cannot repeat to you often enough, monsieur, our horror, our consternation, and the deep sympathy we feel for you. Thus M. Carrege, the judge of instruction, addressed Van Alden. M. Caw, monsieur Caw, the commissary, made sympathetic noises in his throat. Van Alden brushed away horror, consternation, and sympathy with an abrupt gesture. The scene was the examining magistrate's room at Nice. Besides Monsieur Carriage, the commissary, and Van Alden, there was a further person in the room. It was that person who now spoke. Monsieur Van Alden, he said, desires action, swift action. Ah, cried the commissary, I have not yet presented you, I have not yet presented you. Monsieur Van Alden, this is Monsieur Hercule Poirot. You have doubtless heard of him. Although he has retired from his profession for some years now, "'His name is still a household word "'as one of the greatest living detectives.' "'Pleased to meet you, Monsieur Borrow,' said Van Alden, 
falling back mechanically on the formula that he had discarded some years ago. "'You have retired from your profession?' "'This is so, monsieur, and now I enjoy the world.' The little man made a grandiloquent gesture. "'Monsieur Poirot happened to be traveling on the blue train,' explained the commissary, "'and he has been so kind as to assist us out of his vast experience.' The millionaire looked at Poirot keenly. Then he said unexpectedly, "'I'm a very rich man, Monsieur Poirot. It is usually said that a rich man labors under the belief that he can buy everything and every one. That is not true. I am a big man in my way, and one big man can ask a favor from another big man.' Poirot nodded a quick appreciation. "'That is very well said, Monsieur Benalden.' I place myself entirely at your service. Thank you, said Van Alden. I can only say, call upon me at any time, and you will not find me ungrateful. And now, gentlemen, to business. I propose, said Monsieur Carrez, to interrogate the maid, Ada Mason. You have her here, I understand? Yes, said Van Alden. "'We picked her up in Paris in passing through. "'She was very upset to hear of her mistress's death, "'but she tells her story coherently enough. "'Bring her in, then,' said Monsieur Carrez. "'He rang the bell on his desk, "'and in a few minutes Ada Mason entered the room. "'She was very neatly dressed in black, "'and the tip of her nose was red. "'She had exchanged her grey travelling gloves "'for a pair of black suede ones.' She cast a look round the examining magistrate's office in some trepidation, and seemed relieved at the presence of her mistress's father. The examining magistrate prided himself on his geniality of manner, and did his best to put her at ease. He was helped in this by Poirot, who acted as interpreter, and whose friendly manner was reassuring to the Englishman. "'Your name is Ada Mason, is that right?' "'Ada Beatrice, I was christened, sir,' said Mason, primly. "'Just so. And we can understand, Mason, that this has all been very distressing.' "'Oh, indeed it has, sir. I have been with many ladies, and always given satisfaction, I hope, and I never dreamt of anything of this kind happening in any situation where I was.' "'No, no,' said Monsieur Carrez. "'Naturally, I have read of such things, of course.' "'in the Sunday papers, "'and then I always have understood "'that those foreign trains—' "'She suddenly checked her flow, "'remembering that the gentlemen "'who were speaking of her "'were the same nationally as the trains. "'Now let us talk this affair over,' "'said Monsieur Carrez. "'There was, I understand, "'no question of your staying in Paris "'when you started from London. "'Oh, no, sir. "'We were to go straight through to Nice.' "'Have you ever been abroad with your mistress before?' "'No, sir. I had only been with her two months, you see.' "'Did she seem quite as usual when starting on this journey?' "'She was worried-like, and a bit upset, and she was rather irritable and difficult to please.' Monsieur Carrez nodded. "'Now then, Mason, what was the first you heard of your stopping in Paris?' "'It was at the place they called the Guerre de Lyon, sir.' My mistress was thinking of getting out and walking up and down the platform. She was just going out into the corridor when she gave a sudden exclamation and came back into her compartment with the gentleman. She shut the door between her carriage and mine 
"'so that I didn't see or hear anything, "'till she suddenly opened it again "'and told me that she had changed her plans. "'She gave me some money "'and told me to get out and go to the Ritz. "'They knew her well there,' she said, "'and would give me a room. "'I was to wait there until I heard from her. "'She would wire me what she wanted me to do. "'I had just time to get my things together "'and jump out of the train before it started off. "'It was all a rush. "'While Mrs. Kettering was telling you this, "'where was the gentleman?' "'He was standing in the other compartment, "'looking out of the window. "'Can you describe him to us?' "'Well, you see, sir, I hardly saw him. "'He had his back to me most of the time. "'He was a tall gentleman and dark, "'and that's all I can say. "'He was dressed very like any other gentleman "'in a dark blue overcoat and a gray hat. "'Was he one of the passengers on the train?' "'I don't think so, sir. "'I took it that he had come to the station "'to see Mrs. Kettering in passing through. "'Of course, he might have been one of the passengers. "'I never thought of that.' "'Mason seemed a little flurry by the suggestion. "'Monsieur Carrez passed lightly to another subject. "'Your mistress later requested the conductor "'not to rouse her early in the morning. "'Was that a likely thing for her to do, do you think?' "'Oh, yes, sir.' "'The mistress never ate any breakfast, "'and she didn't sleep well at nights, "'so that she liked sleeping on in the morning.' "'Again Monsieur Carrez passed to another subject. "'Amongst the luggage there was a scarlet Morocco case, "'was there not?' he asked. "'Your mistress's jewel case?' "'Yes, sir.' "'Did you take that case to the Ritz?' "'Me? Take the mistress's jewel case to the Ritz? "'Oh, no, indeed, sir.' "'Mason's tones were horrified.' "'You left it behind you in the carriage?' "'Yes, sir.' "'Had your mistress many jewels with her, do you know?' "'A fair amount, sir. "'Made me a bit uneasy sometimes, I can tell you, "'with those nasty tales you hear of being robbed in foreign countries. "'They were insured, I know, "'but all the same it seemed a frightful risk. "'Why, the rubies alone, the mistress told me, "'were worth several hundred thousand pounds.' "'The rubies? What rubies?' barked Van Alden suddenly. Mason turned to him. "'I think it was you who gave them to her, sir, not very long ago.' "'My God!' cried Van Alden. "'You don't imply she had those rubies with her. I told her to leave them at the bank.' Mason gave once more the discreet cough which was apparently part of her stock in trade as a lady's maid. This time it expressed a good deal. It expressed far more clearly than words could have done that Mason's mistress had been a lady who took her own way. "'Ruth must have been mad,' muttered Van Alden. "'What on earth could have possessed her?' Monsieur Carrez, in turn, gave vent to a cough, again a cough of significance. It riveted Van Alden's attention on him. "'For the moment,' said Monsieur Carrez, addressing Mason, "'I think that is all. "'If you will go into the next room, mademoiselle, "'they will read over to you the questions and answers, "'and you will sign accordingly.' "'Mason went out, escorted by the clerk, "'and Van Alden said immediately to the magistrate, "'Well?' "'Monsieur Courage opened a drawer in his desk, "'took out a letter, and handed it across to Van Alden. "'This was found in Madame's handbag.' Cher ami, the letter ran. 
I will obey you. I will be prudent, discreet. All those things that a lover most hates. Paris would perhaps have been unwise. But the Isle d'Or are far away from the world, and you may be assured that nothing will leak out. It is like you and your divine sympathy to be so interested in the work on famous jewels that I am writing. It will indeed be an extraordinary privilege to actually see and handle these historic rubies. I am devoting a special passage to Heart of Fire. My wonderful one, soon I will make up to you for all those sad years of separation and emptiness. Your ever-adoring Armand. And now chapter 15, The Comte de la Roche. Van Alden read the letter through in silence. His face turned a dull, angry crimson. The men watching him saw the veins start out on his forehead, and his big hands clenched themselves unconsciously. He handed back the letter without a word. Monsieur Carrez was looking with close attention at his desk. Monsieur Caw's eyes were fixed upon the ceiling, and Monsieur Hercule Poirot was tenderly brushing a speck of dust from his coat sleeve. With the greatest tact, they none of them looked at Van Alden. It was Monsieur Carrez, mindful of his status and his duties, who tackled the unpleasant subject. "'Perhaps, monsieur,' he murmured, "'you are aware by whom uh, this letter was written?' "'Yes, I know,' said Van Alden heavily. "'Ah?' said the magistrate inquiringly. "'A scoundrel who calls himself the Comte de la Roche.' There was a pause. Then Monsieur Poirot leaned forward, straightened a ruler on the judge's desk, and addressed the millionaire directly. Monsieur Van Alden, we are all sensible, deeply sensible, of the pain it must give you to speak of these matters. But believe me, Monsieur, it is not the time for concealments. If justice is to be done, we must know everything. If you reflect a little minute, you have realized the truth of that clearly. "'For yourself.' Van Alden was silent for a moment or two, then almost reluctantly he nodded his head in agreement. "'You are quite right, Monsieur Poirot,' he said. "'Painful as it is, I have no right to keep anything back.' The commissary gave a sigh of relief, and the examining magistrate leaned back in his chair and adjusted a pince-nez on his long, thin nose. "'Perhaps you would tell us in your own words, Monsieur Van Alden,' he said, "'all that you know of this gentleman. "'It began eleven or twelve years ago, in Paris. "'My daughter was a young girl then, "'and of foolish, romantic notions, like all young girls are. "'Unknown to me, she made the acquaintance of this Comte de la Roche. "'You have heard of him, perhaps?' "'The commissary and Poirot nodded in assent.' "'He calls himself the Comte de la Roche,' continued Van Alden, "'but I doubt if he has any right to the title.' "'You are right. "'You would not have found his name in the Almanac de Gotha,' "'agreed the commissary. "'I discovered as much,' said Van Alden. "'The man was a good-looking, plausible scoundrel, but "'with a fatal fascination for women. "'Ruth was infatuated with him, "'but I soon put a stop to the whole affair.' "'The man was no better than a common swindler.' "'You are quite right,' said the commissary. "'The Comte de la Roche is well known to us. "'If it were possible, we should have laid him by the heels before now. "'But to foil, it is not easy. 
"'The fellow is cunning. "'His affairs are always conducted "'with ladies of high social position. "'If he obtains money from them "'under false pretenses, "'or as the fruit of blackmail, "'eh bien, naturally they will not prosecute. "'To look foolish in the eyes of the world, "'oh, no, that would never do. "'And he has extraordinary power over women.' "'That is so,' said the millionaire heavily. "'Well, as I told you, "'I broke the affair up pretty sharply. "'I told Ruth exactly what he was, "'and she had, perforce, to believe me. "'About a year afterwards, "'she met her present husband and married him. "'As far as I knew, that was the end of the matter. "'But only a week ago I discovered, "'to my amazement, "'that my daughter had resumed her acquaintance "'with the Comte de la Roche.' "'She had been meeting him frequently in London and Paris. "'I remonstrated with her on her imprudence, "'for I may tell you, gentlemen, "'that on my insistence "'she was preparing to bring a suit for divorce against her husband.' "'That is interesting,' murmured Poirot softly, "'his eyes on the ceiling. "'Van Alden looked at him sharply, and then went on. "'I pointed out to her the folly of continuing "'to see the Comte under the circumstances. "'I thought she agreed with me.' The examining magistrate coughed delicately. "'But, according to this letter,' he began, and then stopped. Van Alden's jaw set itself squarely. "'I know. It's no good mincing matters. However unpleasant, we've got to face facts. It seems clear that Ruth had arranged to go to Paris and meet De La Roche there. After my warnings to her, however, she must have written to the Count, suggesting a change of rendezvous.' "'The Isles d'Or,' said the commissary thoughtfully, "'are situated just opposite Hieris, a remote and idyllic spot.' Van Alden nodded. "'My God! How could Ruth be such a fool?' he exclaimed bitterly. "'All this talk about writing a book on jewels! "'Well, he must have been after the rubies from the first. "'There are some very famous rubies,' said Poirot. "'originally part of the crown jewels of Russia. "'They are unique in character, "'and their value is almost fabulous. "'There has been a rumor "'that they have lately passed "'into the possession of an American. "'Are we right in concluding, monsieur, "'that you were the purchaser?' "'Yes,' said Van Alden. "'They came into my possession in Paris "'about ten days ago.' "'Pardon me, monsieur, "'but you have been negotiating "'for their purchase for some time.' "'A little over two months. Why?' "'These things become known,' said Poirot. "'There is always a pretty formidable crowd "'on the track of jewels such as these.' "'A spasm distorted the other's face. "'I remember,' he said brokenly, "'a joke I made to Ruth when I gave them to her. "'I told her not to take them to the Riviera with her, "'as I could not afford to have her robbed and murdered "'for the sake of the jewels.' "'My God!' "'the things one says, "'never dreaming or knowing they will come true.' "'There was a sympathetic silence, "'and then Poirot spoke in a detached manner. "'Let us arrange our facts "'with order and precision. "'According to our present theory, "'this is how they run. "'The Comte de la Roche "'knows of your purchase of these jewels. "'By an easy stratagem, "'he induces "'Madame Catherine to bring the stones with her. "'He, then, is the man Mason saw in the train of Paris.' 
The other three nodded in agreement. Madame is surprised to see him, but she deals with the situation promptly. Mason has got out of the way. A dinner basket is ordered. We know from the conductor that he made up the berth for the first compartment, that he did not go into the second compartment, and that a man could quite well have been concealed from him. So far the Comte would have been hidden to a marvel. No one knows of his presence on the train except Madame. He has been careful that the maid did not see his face. All that she could say is that he was tall and dark. It is all most conveniently vague. They are alone, and the train rushes to the night. There would be no outcry, no struggle, for the man is, so she thinks, her lover. He turned gently to Van Alden. Death, monsieur, must have been almost instantaneous. We will pass over that quickly. The comte takes the jewel case, which lies ready to his hand. Shortly afterwards, the train draws into Lyon. Monsieur Courage nodded his approval. Precisely. The conductor descends. It would be easy for a man to leave the train unseen. It would be easy to catch a train back to Paris or anywhere he pleases, and the crime would be put down as an ordinary train robbery. But for the but for the letter found in Madame's bag, the Comte would not have been mentioned. It was an oversight on his part not to search that bag, declared the commissary. Without doubt, he thought she had destroyed that letter. It was, pardon me, monsieur, it was an indiscretion of the first water to keep it. And yet, murmured Poirot, it was an indiscretion the Comte might have foreseen. You mean? I mean, we are all agreed on one point, and that is that the Comte de la Roche knows one subject a fond. Women. How was it that, knowing women as he does, he did not foresee that Madame would have kept that letter. Yes, yes, said the examining magistrate doubtfully. There is something in what you say. But at such times, you understand, a man is not master of himself. He does not reason calmly. Mon Dieu, he added, with feeling, if our criminals kept their heads and acted with intelligence, how would we capture them? Poirot smiled to himself. It seems to me a clear case, said the other, but a difficult one to prove. He is a slippery customer, and unless the maid can identify him. Which is most unlikely, said Poirot. True, true. The examining magistrate rubbed his chin. It is going to be difficult. If he did indeed commit the crime, began Poirot. Monsieur Caw interrupted. If? You say if? Yes, Monsieur Le Juge, I say it. The other looked at him sharply. You are right, he said at last. We go too fast. It is possible that the Comte may have an alibi. Then we should look foolish. That is of no importance whatever. Naturally, if he committed the crime, he will have an alibi. A man with the Comte's experience does not neglect to take precautions. No, I said it for a very different reason. And what was that? 
Poirot wagged an emphatic forefinger. "'De psychology!' "'Eh?' said the commissary. "'The psychology is at fault. "'The Comte is a scoundrel, yes. "'The Comte is a swindler, yes. "'The Comte preys upon the women, yes. "'He proposes to steal Madame's jewels, again, yes. "'Is he the kind of man to commit murder? "'I say not. "'A man of the type of the Comte is always a coward.' He takes no risks. He plays the safe, the mean, what the English call the low-down game. But murder? A hundred times, no. He shook his head in a dissatisfied manner. The examining magistrate, however, did not seem disposed to agree with him. The day always comes when such gentry lose their heads and go too far, he observed sagely. Doubtless that is the case here. "'without wishing to disagree with you, Monsieur Poirot.' "'It was only an opinion,' Poirot hastened to explain. "'The case is, of course, in your hands, "'and you will do what seems fit to you.' "'I am satisfied in my own mind "'that the Comte de la Roche is the man we need to get hold of,' "'said Monsieur Carrez. "'You agree with me, Monsieur le Commissaire?' "'Yes, perfectly. "'And you?' "'Monsieur Van Alden.' "'Yes,' said the millionaire. "'Yes, the man is a thorough-paced villain. "'No doubt about it.' "'It will be difficult to lay hands on him, I am afraid,' said the magistrate. "'But we shall do our best. "'Telegraphed instructions shall go out at once.' "'Permit me to assist you,' said Poirot. "'There need be no difficulty.' "'Eh?' "'The others stared at him. The little man smiled beamingly back at them. "'It is my business to know things,' he explained. "'The Comte is a man of intelligence. "'He is at present at the villa he has leased, "'the Villa Marina, at Antibes. "'Join us next week for Chapter 16 and Beyond "'with the Mystery of the Blue Train, "'A Poirot Mystery by Agatha Christie. "'If you're enjoying our story,' Please do stop and send us a review, or at Spotify, a comment. We always appreciate Apple Podcast reviews and Spotify comments. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Stories for the Road, and we'll return next week.